just think of your significant other and ask yourself this question. Are they really into me or is it just my access to high-level state secrets and commercial infrastructure? Okay, that was a bit specific. But yes, this week on Download This Show, Australia's top spy agency wants you to swipe left on potential spies on dating services like Tinder. And for their part, Tinder would also very much like to bring back the blind date. Also on the show, virtual reality is bad for your head. And I mean that literally. There's been a spike in insurance claims from people bumping their head. And the very odd story of a technical glitch that's plaguing cars in Seattle. All of that and much more coming up. This is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. My name is Mark Fennell and welcome to Download This Show. Yes, indeed. It is a brand new episode of Download This Show. Our guest this week, uh, Jen Dudley-Nicholson, National Technology Editor for News Corp. Welcome back. Thank you so much, sir. And he is the co-founder of The Daily Oz, Sam Kozlowski. Welcome back. How are you going, Mark? I am okay. I am also not on Tinder. Partially because I'm married, but mostly because it turns out that there are spies on Tinder. That is according to ASIO's head honcho, Mike Burgess, uh, <laughs> this week talked about, uh, well, actually in the last couple of days, actually, he's talked about how foreign spies have been tracked on dating apps like your Tinders and your Bumbles. Sam, take me back to how this became a story. So this all came out in a major speech from the ASIO chief last week. There was some interesting comments from James Patterson as well, who is the Liberal Senator, he said, if you're a six and you're getting approached by a 10 online, it's likely that they're going to be a spy and it's too good to be true. Uh, as a six, that didn't feel too good to hear. Um, but it's a, really, <laughs> it's a really interesting story, Mark, um, particularly prominent, I think, in the COVID era where a lot of people are doing their dating online. Uh, and it's something that obviously is concerning enough for ASIO that they're using a major address to to talk about it and highlight it. Right. Why are they talking about it? Because I, I feel like this is the sort of thing where, Jen, I don't know, maybe my entire understanding of spies has been formed by popular culture and therefore somewhat inaccurate. But I feel like <laughs> spies don't talk about this stuff. But actually, weirdly, Mike Rogers from ASIO is quite public and he does talk quite often about this stuff. So why talk about this now? One of the reasons that he talks is because apparently he likes to set the record straight. And um, he said previously that just saying, you know, I can't comment about that, that's, you know, an operational matter, it lets rumours, you know, go wild. Is there anything, Sam, that the the tech companies, right, can actually do here, right? Or is this just something that happens on their platforms? Um, You know, we're talking about a few different platforms here. It's not just Tinder, it's a few of them. But are there technical things that those services can do to prevent them from being used for espionage? My voice was not supposed to go that high, but it did. <laughs> it's it's a question that warrants the pitch of that voice, Mark, because it's <laughs> it's serious business. And, you know, it's interesting. In, in the financial space, there's all of these kind of know-your-customer requirements that banks, buy-now-pay-later services have to be able to tell authorities exactly who the customer is at the other end of the service. I'm not sure that those apply to the Tinders and the Bumbles and the Hinges. Uh, And it's kind of left to the platforms themselves to A, develop enough infrastructure so that their own customers and users feel secure on their platforms. But B, make sure that if they are pulled aside by an ASIO, that they can say this is the, the real name of the person and this is the IP address they're actually logging in from, you know, Eastern Europe, not 
not from Western Sydney, uh, and all those kind of uh, know your customer aspects that we're so used to in financial circles, we might have to get used to now in dating. Um, yeah, if you have a um, someone sign up to the an account um, under the name James Bond, red flag. Uh, but romance scams, they work, and they clearly work in espionage in the same way that they work in real life. And we've seen, you know, um, when Valentine's Day passed recently, you know, there, there were big warnings about how, you know, people lost $56 million to, to romance scams over the past year, which is ridiculous, but it's a massive vulnerability for people. How do these scams often sort of manifest? What, what's happening in those instances? So the phrase that uh, was used a lot by the ASIO Director General is this idea of a honey trap. You kind of get yourself into a really sticky situation where there's often romance involved. Um, trust is built up between the two parties. Often they will take the communication onto an encrypted service. So you might be chatting to somebody on, on Tinder and they say, let's move this to WhatsApp. Uh, and that could be A, it could be just a genuine person connecting with you and wanting to talk on WhatsApp. That's not uncommon. But B, it could also be them looking to kind of protect themselves in the communication, taking it away from this third party service and onto an encrypted service. From there, it's about really simple things like asking for credit card details, um, garnering general information about your job at work if you have sensitive information. That seems to be the kind of main two areas. It's interesting to note that ASIO actually now says that this sort of espionage and foreign interference stuff is more concerning to them than terrorism. So it's a big statement from ASIO this week. I wonder why, because personally, I find terrorism more scary. Scary. So why, is it just the, the sheer amount of it that, that's shifted the gravity for them? I think it's probably what, what's at stake. I mean, you know, it sounds like a couple of these foreign interference operations are attempting to strike at the heart of the Australian government and, and to try and understand strategies internally in the government, foreign relations. I mean, we've got, for example, a very, very tense situation uh, on the Russian-Ukraine border uh, you can understand why authorities would be nervous if there was some sort of intel being gathered on Australia's communications with the US and France and the other allies around this conflict and future plans. And you can just imagine that it goes kind of to a global scale very quickly. Uh, and there's horror stories out there of this stuff actually happening. It's, it's real. I didn't think the country would be brought down by Tinder, but there you go. <laughs> it's 2022. Who knows what's going to happen? <laughs> hey, uh, staying on uh, dating apps, um, Jen, I'm going to let you take this one. Uh, Tinder oh, yeah. are looking at bringing back the blind, well, when I say blind, bringing back, br Tinder are looking at bringing back a very 80s, 90s idea. They're looking to bring back the idea of a blind date. Why? Oh, for love? Actually, more importantly, how? <laughs> I feel like I already saw this on Ted Lasso. I'm pretty sure mm. that this was a this was a whole story arc. Um, oh yeah, they have a there's an app in the show where you can only talk to people, you can't see them. Exactly, and I feel like it didn't necessarily work there, but um, apparently we're we're bringing it back. Um, Look, it's, it's interesting. Maybe somebody saw Perfect Match, uh, Greg Evans style, and they just decided, you know, let's bring back uh, Dexter. Uh, so, yeah, the, the idea is, I believe, 
that you wouldn't be able to see this other person and you'd have to go through and, and answer all of these personality quiz questions. And apparently some of the ones that they put forward were things like, you know, how many days is it okay to wear a T-shirt before you wash it? And I'm not necessarily sure that I'd personally want to be matched with someone on that basis, but uh, maybe it's working for them. So you would you would answer these questions and then you would you would you know see how compatible you were with a person and then you know decide whether you wanted to talk to them and eventually whether you wanted to see them and I suppose it's getting to that idea of you know on on Tinder it is kind of a meat market as I understand it and you swipe and swipe and swipe again and apparently they've said that these this blind dating feature that they're they're trialing that people are getting forty percent more matches so maybe that's good and maybe we can bond over how dirty our t-shirts all are so it's an it's an interesting one and it's i suppose really playing into this idea that potentially you know social media isn't doing the most fantastic things for dating and maybe we need to try something else entirely sam there has been you know previous uh, reporting around you know significant safety and assault issues related to a number of dating apps including tinder do you think an app like this appropriately you know, takes that into account, that there are potential opportunities here for people to be hurt and, and, and worse? Well, I think the first thing, without also sounding too cynical, Mark, is that the study that's come out alongside this announcement is done by Tinder itself. So that mm-hmm. we really need to keep that in mind, that there was a way that they could frame it, that there were 40% more matches, but that's, I'd love to see some kind of third-party... Uh, research into that because I think you're right. I think it presents um, a big danger, especially to to young people who are increasingly um, more open to the idea of meeting up with someone quicker um, after maybe one or two interactions. I mean, we, you know, we've been on this podcast for not very long now, and we've already talked about the dangers of meeting up with somebody you don't fully know, and now we're talking about the same apps looking at opening up that as an option. So it doesn't really make a heap of sense to me. I I also want to say that I'm in my mid-20s and on the ground in my generation, (laughs) the amount of care and caution that people take around dating apps doesn't match this presentation of a new feature. You know, every or every one of my friends who goes on a date from a dating app is constantly texting friends, telling them that they're okay. They've got their find my friends feature on. There's a lot of security um, protocols put in place. So I'm just not sure if anyone will actually use this. Well, see, it's interesting when you launched into that, I thought you were going to say it was the other way around, that there's generally like a an increased like comfortability with it. But uh, no, it's the other way around. That's interesting. Yeah, no, I think people are, are comfortable to go on a date um, uh, and uh, see it as a viable way to, to meet their life partner and to meet someone they're going to be really happy with. But I think at the same time, the amount of um, precautions that young women especially are taking uh, is, is really sad uh, and it's quite mm. remarkable. It's a great way to meet spies, though. <laughs> it is a great this way to meet spies. Just get out there, you know, share some secrets with the world. Yep, yep. And also my T-shirts <laughs> are dirty. Yeah, cool. Uh, download this show is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. Our guest this week, Sam Kozlowski, the co-founder of The Daily Oz, and Jen Dudley-Nicholson, National Technology Editor for News Corp. Mark Fennell is my name. There's been a rising popularity in virtual reality headsets in the last couple of years, against everyone's better judgment, but there's been a surprising side effect of that. Uh, Apparently, there's been a 31% rise in insurance claims. (laughs) Is this just people hitting their head. Uh, Sam, is that what's going on here because they're wearing these headsets? 
There is people breaking bones, hitting their heads. There's also some insurance claims for broken property, um, you know, particularly broken glass, coffee tables, TVs, anything in front of you when you're roaming around a rainforest in your living room. We've known about VR injuries for a little while. There's been some hilarious videos over the years of people running into walls. Um, Now we're seeing more and more, you know, as we've got more sophisticated games, for example, we're seeing cases of people getting punched because they're warding off enemies in their games. So I would not be surprised if this is an emerging (laughs) class of a workplace injury for those who are doing work meetings. You know, it's going to be a super interesting area. I I should uh, caveat this by saying this this is news that's come from a a UK insurer who have a bit of a, a, a track record with putting out quirky news stories about uh, things that people like to claim back on. But still, it does, I think, speak to the fact that virtual reality is not going away. I think there was a period of time there where it did seem... You know, it seemed shaky, Jen. I remember when, you know, everybody, sort of PlayStation and all these, and Oculus being bought by Facebook, there was a a sense that there was a lot of investment, there was a lot of buying uh, in virtual reality headsets, but it was not actually clear that the public, the consuming market, would necessarily follow through. So should we take news stories like this, Jen, as a sign that virtual reality is here to stay and it is part of our, our permanent technological diet? I think for some people, it's definitely going to be part of their their ongoing diet and it's going to become more popular over time. However, it's still a case of trying to make fetch happen. Um, you know, we're, we're still we're, we're still seeing Thank you like for that little... very specific Mean Girls reference. I appreciate you. <laughs> yeah, and and we're pink. Um, it, it is it is still one of those things. that's kind of it's creeping into the culture. It's it's definitely a part of it, but it's not like everyone's house has you know a dedicated area for this. And maybe that's why we're seeing so many injuries. And you know, when when the insurance company actually announced this, they actually said there was a thirty one percent increase in home insurance claims involving VR headsets. So it's a very specific kind of category that they're talking about. If you have a long history in tech, you'll remember when, you know, the first Nintendo Wii came out, the mm. same sorts of things happened. And so... It was, wasn't we, there? Absolutely. Wii Tennis killed a lot of televisions. Um, and so, <laughs> so much so that the company actually had to come out and say, you know, when you hold the controller, you need to put the wrist strap around because you could let it go and you could smash your telly. Um, and look, it was it was definitely real, and I'm sure there were some really funny insurance claims in relation to that um, that were very genuine. And I think the same kind of thing is happening. But we 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 are likely to see more virtual reality headsets creep into the mainstream. I mean, you mentioned Oculus. Potentially, we'll see a metaverse coming at some point, according to Facebook or Meta or whatever they're calling themselves this week. And, and so they're talking about bringing out a new one next year. At CES this year, we saw um, Sony talk about bringing out a second version of its virtual reality headset, which had some real potential to add on to an existing platform. However, it was the first one was massive. It was it was a, a lot of technology and a lot of things to plug in, and, and my lounge room looked super messy when I was trying to just install all of that stuff together. So we'll see if it takes off. I think it's going to be potentially kind of a slow burn. There are about 16 million, I think, VR headsets out in the wild at the moment potentially being used, and that figure is supposed to double by 2024, and maybe you should, yeah, lock up the cats. Yeah, it's been a whole, like, 10 or so minutes since we mentioned the word Facebook, so we might as well talk about Meta (laughs) slash Facebook. Meta being the parent company of Facebook and the Metaverse being Mark Zuckerberg's newest exciting, just to catch 
people up. The metaverse is a virtual reality environment that Meta slash Facebook believe is is the future of online interacting, where you can exist in a sort of pseudo cartoon world. You have a little avatar that's like a cartoon version of yourself, where you can interact with people. And uh, we discovered last week you can put force fields around yourself, so you don't have to do small talk with boring people. Anyway, that's the backstory. Sam, do you actually think? Mesa has a future because they're betting big on it. And, you know, some recent sort of Wall Street activity would suggest the rest of the uh, the world is less keen on it. But what do you think? Do you think there is a, a desire for a virtual reality universe for people to play in? It's so funny, Mark. This time last week, my answer would have been absolutely not. Today, the answer is yes. And that's because uh, I Zuckerberg have come got to you, across... Didn't he? Zuckerberg, the Zuck has gotten to me. <laughs> I've come across two startups in the last seven days that are hosting their morning meetings in the metaverse. They're, oh. These are people in capital cities of Australia who are sitting on their lounges and talking to their colleagues at a board table in the metaverse. The fact that I heard two in the last seven days, both from pretty you know, normal people, I would classify as normal people, um, <laughs> Showed me that there is, yeah, showed me that there is a really serious appeal here for workplaces. Um, Both were sent Oculus sets by their employers. And I actually Mm -hmm. think that could be a way that we all first encounter the metaverse is, is actually at work. All right. So let's play that through, right? So the reason everybody uses Zoom and, you know, Microsoft Teams is because there was a huge necessity driving event, the pandemic, right? They were like... Zoom would not be what it is today were it not be for COVID, right? My question I have is like, how badly are people sick of Zoom? Like, let's assume that working from home is going to be a thing that sort of like persists and maybe peters off in the next two, three years, right? How sick are people of video calls that they are going to want to do this? Like, it's a significant, like there's hardware component to this that, that, that you've got to, got to invest. How seriously do you think people are going to want to make that move? Sam, like more broadly. I hear you and I, I, and I think that we were all very <laughs> Do I sound sceptical? I didn't mean to sound, I meant to sound fair, but I feel like I came across this. But it's fair enough. Like we're, we're now two years into this um, and all of us are kind of battling different levels of Zoom fatigue. What I think is interesting is the amount of research that's come out in the last kind of three to six months saying that people actually just, especially in, in the tech world and in the startup space, don't want to go back into a physical office. And so in an effort to create a workplace culture and in an effort to give their employees the best experience, I think I really do think we're going to see, especially some cashed up tech companies, distribute these as a way of, of enhancing the at-home meeting. I put one on, I joined the boardroom because I really wanted to feel what it was like in my friend's lounge room. I kind of forgot I was there. And that was the scary bit. I I forgot Mm. I was in a virtual reality world. I don't want to sound like an ad for Meta. It's the last thing (laughs) I wanted to sound like, but it worked. It really, I mean, I, I was moving my body. I was talking to different people in a natural way. Uh, it was really discerning, but it was much more effective than Zoom, which I'm just so bored with, um, that this could actually be a way to, to enhance the experience. Most important question, Sam, 
could you disappear off to a cafe somewhere and talk shit about Colin from accounts? There were breakout rooms, Mark. And, and, Ooh, <laughs> and we joked about okay. this. We, were, we joked about this. And then also those, those bubbles came up where you could kind of block anyone from talking to you. Um, what I found particularly interesting was that you can change the kind of broader environment. So we were in a boardroom in a, a desert and that kind of stuff. So it was quite stimulating what else was going on in there. I think I saw a camel. It's a totally different way of thinking. Um, I don't know. But maybe it's because I'm scarred from Zoom, but I kind of would be keen to, to try everything. <laughs> Jen, what are your thoughts? Are you, are you sold on, on Sam's experience? Look, I'm kind of weirded out a little bit. I mean, I've seen some weird meetings. I've, I've worked in a newsroom for a long period of time i've never seen a camel walk past that's that's something new um and could be interesting Uh, but i think one of the things that we're forgetting as well is that uh, companies have have saved a lot of money during this period in terms of uh, interstate travel and Mm. there are a lot of meetings and you know I, i i live beside some people who do this all the time where they they would you know travel down to different places several times a week and so for those companies sending out a VR headset and even going through like the, the trouble you know, shooting process might actually be worth it. Whether people are going to embrace this, I'm not really sure. Maybe it's, it's one of those things that, you know, I mean, as Sam says, you know, we'll, we'll forget about it and we'll forget our you know, existing environment because we'll be having a look at you know, camels in the background of our meetings. <laughs> I, I am reminded of an experience where I, I gave my mother-in-law, um, a, I think, a Google Cardboard headset to have a look at and she was yelling at Paul McCartney to play other songs. Um, and I think on some level she Very knew that he was Very normal reaction. <laughs> Very she healthy. She knew he wasn't there. And, and like I'm going to know that the camel's not really there, but maybe I'll be convinced enough to let it play out for a bit and... <laughs> Add some more spice to the meeting. I don't know. For a period of time, it wasn't just about virtual reality, these completely enveloping worlds. There was also spaces for augmented reality where you'd wear glasses, where there was sort of like a digital overlay. Uh, Of course, famously, there was Google Glass and a few other things like that. Whatever happened to that category, Jen? Because I feel like, you know, you, you mentioned CES earlier, the big consumer electronics show they have in Vegas. And I feel like for a couple of years, like, there was at least half a dozen of those sorts of virtual reality heads, uh, augmented reality headsets rather, that were being announced. And it, and I was fascinated to know whether that category had moved at all. It, it has. And Google Glass really became um, something of a, you know, sort of industrial training. And, and there it's, I think it's still used in some forms in dangerous jobs, for example, and, and training and those sorts of things where you, you need information and you can't necessarily use your hands. So it, it did kind of go into... Sorry for anyone who uses it, a more boring sphere rather than a consumer sphere. And then we saw, you know, head-up displays in cars kind of take over from Google Glass and things like that. These rumours do still swirl around and we could potentially see something like that in future. Apple has been, has long been rumoured to be, you know, working on this project. Whether we'll ever see that or not, I don't know. Whether that will come into the workplace, um, I'm, I'm not entirely sure as well. I'd love to see it work. I mean, I'm wearing glasses already. Make them smart. Let's go. <laughs> Download this show is what you're listening to here on ABC RN. And Mark Fennell is my name. It is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. And I love this story. So it turns out right now, if you own a Mazda that was made between 2014 and 2017, and you happen to live in Seattle, where, of course, I know so many of our listeners live, you can only listen to one radio station. And it's because of a glitch in the car, which is so strange. Jen, explain to me what's happened here. 
So, yeah, the Seattle radio station um, apparently broadcast, um, along with its digital radio broadcast, um, some images, um, you know, for album covers and stuff, except they didn't put the right extension on those images, like, you know, JPEG and those sorts of things. So it caused a glitch in the infotainment system within these particular Mazda models. Um, They started rebooting some of them, and some of them now just can only listen to this one radio station. That's it. They can't use their Bluetooth. They can't use their navigation tools. Mazda's come out and said, uh, sorry, guys, you're going to have to replace the entire $1,500 unit in the car in order to um, free it up again. Uh, and they've said that they'll, they'll do that as a goodwill gesture. But obviously, there are a lot of cars now that need this particular infotainment system. They can listen to this one radio station. And I imagine at some point, I mean, They'll either start enjoying it or they'll start enjoying the sounds of silence or they'll get really angry at this one intern who's not put the right extension. But it's, it's a fascinating kind of proof of concept of how you can hack a whole range of vehicles, potentially in this case, uh, not, for, not for badness, but um, maybe not necessarily for goodness either. Are cars just getting a bit too smart for their own boots? Totally. I mean, the demand for computer chips in cars has skyrocketed as these cars get more sophisticated. And this is what's going to happen is just like our phones and our computers, there will be bugs, there will be viruses because they're ultimately a computer. You're driving around with a computer in your car. Um, This is a particularly interesting one because I think it could be exploited on purpose by, by a lot of different actors. We've seen various issues with Tesla and, you know, what happens if you're doing the self-driving mode and all that kind of stuff. But this is actually a different thing. This is about data to me, because if you can change the radio station, then there's probably a way that you can sort of hack your way into it to capture the movements of somebody uh, and to track them in a certain way. Now, I know we've probably got our phones in the car that can do that anyway, and there's lots of kind of mitigating arguments to that, but it does open up another way that people with bad intentions can can get inside our cars. I mean, why couldn't you reverse a radio and, and make it listen to you? Jen, why was this a, a radio station problem? Why wasn't this something where Mazda could, like, push a, a firmware update or something like that? Like, why wasn't it solvable in a software sense? I'm sure Mazda would love to know that. Yes. Uh, I mean, it, it seems like a, a really serious bug to have and to just discover now too. So these are cars going back to 2014 and it's never happened before, but I guess it's just one of those glitches that they didn't necessarily see coming. Um, I think it also points to a broader issue with the car market in particular. A lot of these uh, infotainment systems, even though they do a lot of stuff, the software is actually quite difficult to update in many instances. And so from what I understand, and my car's much dumber than this, which I'm happy happy about this week. It does AM and FM. Ooh, um, you fancy. I know. I know, right? <laughs> uh, in the right kind of area, that is. A, a lot of these car entertainment systems, you actually have to take them into the dealer to update the software. And that can cost five, six hundred, seven hundred $600, $700 in some instances. Um, so a lot of people just don't do it. And you can't necessarily expect software from 2014, 2017 to behave in the same safe way that it did when it was first installed. Um, and I think that's true on computers as it is in cars. And there's there's a whole heap of patches, I imagine, that aren't going in. And there's a, there's a whole heap of, you know, updates that people could be using that they're not. 
there are instances where cars are getting better at that and car manufacturers are kind of recognising that they need to provide over-the-air updates and it makes sense as well when, you know, these cars can easily be connected to the internet and some of them actually have active SIM cards in them to make sure that, you know, they can give you up-to-date traffic information, for example. But this is one really interesting proof of concept where, yeah, absolutely, these things should have been updated a long time ago and they weren't and maybe Mazda needs to look at that in future. You know, when you learn to drive a car, you spend an enormous amount of time, like, being told to, like, have spatial awareness and really think about the car as an extension of yourself. To then have the car kind of talk back to you and being like, you're not as good at this as you think you are is very, like, it's like a personal (laughs) affront to me that I'm working through my issues and that's why I want to talk about this. And now that I've got that off my chest, we should end the show. (laughs) Um, Thank you so much, Sam Kozlowski from The Daily Oz. Thanks so much for coming back on the show. Lovely to chat, Mark. Good luck with the car, mate. Thank you. Uh, Me, my wife's car and my therapist have a session later on today. (laughs) Jen Dudley-Nicholson, National Technology Editor for News Corp. As always, it was a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much. Uh, And with that, I shall leave you. uh, If you enjoyed the program lord knows what's wrong with you but please do leave a review on whichever podcasting app you happen to listen to us on uh my name's mark fennell and thanks for listening to another episode of download this show